Welcome to Living Through the Word, the podcast ministry of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. Here, we'll bring in different guests from across the diocese and around the world to talk about faith, life, and ministry today. I'm Julian Dobbs, the diocesan bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, and today it's my great privilege to welcome Governor John Kasich. Governor Kasich is a national leader who has spent a lifetime bringing people together to solve big problems and leaving the world around them just a little bit better than they found it. As the 69th governor of the state of Ohio, John Kasich led the Ohio comeback. His administration inherited an $8 billion budget shortfall that they solved without a tax increase. He went on to cut a record $5 billion in taxes and created nearly 550,000 jobs during his two terms in office. Governor Kasich ran for president during the 2016 GOP primary. He was the last candidate to leave the race and finished third in the total delegate count. His message focused on unifying Americans rather than dividing them championing the great uh, potential of our citizens to make positive impacts in their own communities, something which I'll discuss with the governor in a few moments. When he served in Congress between 1982 and 2000, John Kasich was chairman of the House Budget Committee and worked across party lines to pass the first federally balanced budget since man walked on the moon. It hasn't been done again since he left Congress. Governor Kasich also served for 18 years on the Armed Services Committee, where he played a role in every major national security effort that helped end the Cold War. Married to Karen, he is the proud father of twin daughters. Governor Kasich worships at St. Augustine Anglican Church in Westerville, Ohio, a member congregation of our diocese. And I've had the privilege to meet and talk with the governor on numerous occasions. He is a man of faith and integrity. He is known as the guy who never gives up. Governor John Kasich, welcome to Living Through the Word. Thank you for joining us today. Well, I, it's, it's good to be with you, but I'm glad it's at a distance because the last time I saw you, you bought me on the head with that staff you carry. And Absolutely. The, the knot on my head is finally going down. <laughs> Governor, that, of course, is what bishops are supposed to do, is just give out a few, <laughs> no, a few knocks uh, every, now, uh, every now and again. Uh, thanks for joining us. Great to have you with us. I want to talk a little bit about faith, uh, first of all. Um, maybe later we can talk about leadership in our nation. Uh, there's a lot happening in the world right now. Um, take me back, if you would, to your own faith, and if you will, um, to a very difficult period in your own life. Governor, in 1987, you were in Washington, D.C., and took a phone call that changed your life. A drunk driver hit your parents' car and killed your father on sight, and your mother died the next day. I'm so sorry that once that happened. You once said, my parents didn't die in vain because I found the Lord in a real way. You describe your world as ble- being black. Would you take us back to that day, Governor? Well, let me, let me go back 
uh, a lot farther back than that. When I was a young boy, um, I was, I don't know, in maybe the fourth grade, <clears throat> which meant I was very young. And uh, I spent a weekend learning all the Latin I could as a young Catholic boy, became an older boy, uh, and then graduated from that into uh, being a, uh, a commentator in the church at a very young age. I think I was about in the ninth grade and would lead the people. And, uh, you know, I kind of felt uh, at that time, so I could feel the kind of the presence of God, I guess. Um, and um, then I graduated from high school and um, went to college. And I think uh, like, like a lot of red-blooded American boys, uh, God became kind of a rabbit's foot for me. You know, I would pray occasionally, went to church a few times. One seminal moment I remember is uh, the priest at our church. When I went home one weekend, uh, he was uh, holding the hosts uh, for communion, and I was in the back, and I stood and uh, he called me back to the sacristy after the service. And he said, if I ever see you standing again, when I hold up the host, it'll be a dark day for you. And uh, I remember that. That's uh, about 40 years later. And um, so I kind of dabbled in and out and then went into politics and could remember going to church and praying on election day. <laughs> It's sort of God became kind of a rabbit's foot for me. And then, and then in, uh, in fact, I had some friends on Capitol Hill who chased me around, wanted me to join their Bible study. I didn't really want any part of it. And then that fateful day came in 1987. And uh, I'm sure some of our listeners can relate to experiences in their lives where they entered the black hole. And it can only be described as a total black with a tiny pinprick of light to kind of you can just kind of see it it's it's a hope you have that, that maybe that little tiny pinprick of light will grow but at the time you're almost swallowed up in the darkness uh i had you know it's funny how the lord sends people uh i had a young minister young pre young minister at the time as my mother was actually anglican and uh, came to see me, and he asked me about where I stood vis-a-vis -vis the Lord after the, you know, proper period of time between that tragedy and uh, and my shock. And I didn't have a good answer. And he said, "Well, you have a window of opportunity that you ought to go through to figure out where you are vis-a-vis -vis the Lord." And so I've spent, and it was in '87. See, that's 13 and 20. That's 30. I've spent 33 years. <laughs> going through that window of opportunity, trying to figure out where I am vis-a-vis -vis the Lord. Does God exist? Does he care about me? Who is this person, Jesus? How does the spirit work into all this? And uh, so I, I tackled it just like you would an investigation. Um, and I found God. But you ask a very interesting question about faith. Um, to me, the fundamental question about faith is, how do you get it? You know, some people think, oh, well, you know, you just work at it. But maybe to a degree. Um, I also tend to believe that faith is a gift from God. 
Now, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and I was saying, I think that there are voices that come in in our lives that crowd out the messages uh, that we get from the Lord. And I kind of compare it to a horse race. You know, when the if you're in the Kentucky Derby, I'm not a horseman, but I think this is true. You come out of the gate and you keep your eyes focused on the track ahead. You don't look around. And I think to some degree, when it comes to what we get from God, I think it's important that we are able to take time to crowd out those other voices of doubt. And, you know, and I, I find that, that reading the scripture, I'm kind of going back and forth between the Old Testament. I'm in the book of Acts and the New. I'm, I'm in Joshua and the Old. And, um, you know, you just read it and you, you reflect on the power of those people. Uh, the miracles, the things that happened. And it gives you a real sense of the, of the reality of the story, which can help to give you faith that the story is true. But at the same time, I think it's also very important uh, to not listen to those other voices out there that tell you, well, this can't be true. This doesn't make sense. None of this has ever happened before. Nobody ever rose from the dead. And so I think it's, it's, it's to be honest about it, I, I think it's, it's hard for everybody. But I do believe at the end that we, we kind of have a choice. Do, do we believe in life everlasting? Do we believe it's true? Do we believe that the scriptures pointed to the, uh, to the existence of, of Jesus? Do we, we read about the resurrection? We read about the transformation of the apostles? And then we look at our own lives, most of us who have no reason to think that the things that we've achieved in life are, are mostly on our own merit. They come from somewhere else. And then I think once you can conclude that and hold tight to it, I think it can give you a sense of hope and courage being able to move forward. So, Governor, thank you for sharing that. Um, you share in, a, in an immensely personal way. Uh, and yet you are a significant public figure, known not just around our nation, but around the world. Faith in Jesus Christ seems very personal to you. Uh, I once read that you had said, I discovered my purpose by discovering the Lord. Aren't there some who might suggest that um, it's unusual for a public figure like yourself to be, to be so outgoing about their Christian faith? Well, look, I don't, I don't want to shove my, my thoughts down anybody's throat. You know, the great Bishop Roger Ames has said to me on a number of occasions that, John, you have a way of talking about this that's not off-putting to other people. I think probably there have been some times when I've spoken about it that it has been off-putting. Uh, I want people to kind of hear me. Uh, I don't want to shove anything down their throats, not my job, and I can't convince them anyway. Uh, but my job is to kind of sprinkle some things out there. And the reason I do it is I find it's helpful to me. Um, you know, during this period of uh, the virus, uh, it's forced me to think more uh, and more about my mortality, my death. How do I feel about it? Do I fear it? Uh, am I comfortable with it? 
if I actually truly have faith, doesn't that put the world and its priorities in a much better place? I mean, who am I answering to? Um, I'm just not very concerned about it. And I think I get some of this from my mother in terms of I'm not really that worried about criticism. I mean, no one likes to be criticized. I don't like to be criticized. Um, unless it's by my family <laughs> and it bothers me. But most of the time, I, I, it's just I have to do what I have to do. And if people don't like it, I can't, I can't change it. I'm not going to change it. I'm not catering to anybody. So I don't do this in an effort to, to kind of proselytize. Or, I'm saying to them, look, this has been helpful to me. Check it out. Maybe it'll be helpful to you. I've got some of my, my closest friends who are not believers, you know, and I can't bully them into believing. Um, I just uh, I just do what I can do and see where the chips may fall. A number of weeks ago, you and I had a short conversation over the phone uh, as we were entering into this very difficult period with regards to the coronavirus. Um, and you've recently written about that in an article in USA Today. It was entitled, The Coronavirus Made Me Doubt My Faith Until I Realized It Was There All Along. Just flesh that out a little bit more for us, Governor, if you would. Take us on that journey. Well, I mean, it's nobody likes to think about getting sick and dying. But, you know, sometimes I think we have to confront those kinds of things. And um, and so I was uh, frightened, um, still would be unnerved and frightened if I figured out I got it and I thought I was going to die. But that's, you know, there's something in that piece. Um, and everybody can find it uh, if you Google USA Today slash Kasich, K-A-S-I-C-H. Um, you know, one of the things that one of my friends said is you sometimes get what you need from God at the time when you need it, not when you ask for it. And I think that's I think that's really true. Um, but in examining all these things and going back to basics, which is I tried to do, um, I figured out that I'm frankly OK. It doesn't mean that I don't have worries or concerns. But the stronger my faith, and I don't mean blind faith, but the, you say, you know, you're, you talk personally about this. Well, I don't know how else to talk about it. I don't want to be a professor. <clears throat> I want to just tell you how I think. Um, I, I feel that, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty well through this whole, whole thing and discovering a lot of very basic things, a lot of basic issues about myself, my fears, my priorities, my treasures. and um, it's working out, but I do know uh, that I got to keep my nose in this in this scripture. I like to read a lot of inspired material, but now I'm re reading the most inspired, and that is uh, large passages out of the old and the new, uh, sort of like going to the gym. I exercise my muscles, and again, I think so much in the world pulls us away from this, and when we have our it's sort of like a, a battle in a way, pulls us away from it. But when we have our nose in the scriptures, when we talk to people who are also believers, it fortifies us. It's like a trip to the spiritual gymnasium, which I, I highly recommend. I don't think we can float through this one hour a week, uh, but I think it's, uh, it's something we have to exercise on a very regular basis. And Jesus talked about that himself, didn't he? He said, where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. And you're talking a little about where your treasure is uh, in the Lord, in the Word of God, um, uh, receiving inspiration from other places, but ultimately from the Word of God, which you've referenced a number of times um, already. In this difficult um, period, Governor, in which we're in, yeah. I I also wrote a book about faith. It's called Every Other Monday. And I wrote it in the middle of my campaign for governor the first time. And uh, and it did quite well. And I would really commend it to people. I don't think I, I don't, I don't know how the book worked out as well as it did. Uh, It's got my name on it. I dictated it. Maybe it wasn't mine, you know, if you know what I mean. But it is a, it's a simple book about how you think about these things. And there have been a lot of sophisticated theologians who I've sent this to, and I, they were rolling their eyes saying, oh, we're going to read this trite thing from John Kasich, only to come back, like my friend Fleming Rutledge, and said she's recommended it to many people. So you might want to check that, check that out. And when it comes to our treasures, as you were asking, where are your treasures? I mean, again, it, it's a balance, isn't it? It's a balance between realizing what your true priorities are. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. And I don't think, I don't really know how God works. I've tried to ask him one time I was in the car and it, and I actually didn't hear a voice, but it came very clearly into my head. Stop asking me how I work. I'm not going to tell you. Shut <laughs> up. You know? <laughs> um, but I, I guess the, the way I, I look at this is um, it's a balance. Okay. Is it important to have a good living? Sure. It's better to be rich than poor. Of course it is. But, but, but where, where do you put your treasures? And secondly, let's just take this virus and let's take the anxiety that it's caused many people. Here's what I was trying to get to. How would you like to, to, to pass away from this earth and be put in an environment where you live in anxiety for eternity? I, I don't like that prospect. (laughs) I would rather be living in an environment where the good things I've done here will carry over to the next world. And I can live with God, which which the scriptures say will be eternal joy. Uh, Always struck by Paul's message, which was, hey, uh, God, I'd like to, or Jesus, I'd like to, you know, kind of come up and live with you. But if you need me to stay here, I'll stay here and take care of things. You got to think about eternity too. You know, if these are all things are all true, and boy, if they're not, what would be the purpose of life? And the idea of investing in this, and that doesn't mean you kind of make a deal with God, okay, I'll believe if you'll take care of me, but it's like a relationship, you know, like I have with you, Bishop, you're a friend of mine, right? I, I, I want to do things that are pleasing to you, pleasing to my, you know, to my parents. I want to do these things because they're right. And since God has blessed me in many different ways, you know, I want to please him. And if, and if the byproduct of that is, is that, look, he's going he's to invite me into his club, I'm all for going. Does that make sense to you? That's a little basic, I guess, but maybe it's yeah, it does because you're talking That's very much about treasures and the priorities and, and orders of your life. Um, Governor, one, let's just go back to your book for a moment. You've talked to me about this before every other Monday um, because 
people are also important in your journey and people who you trust with whom you have conversation. Can you tell us why you called it Every Other Monday? Oh, yeah, yeah. So back in 87, when my parents died, those people had been bugging me about going into this Bible study and I'd blown them off. And after that happened, they came to see me and I said, okay, I'll attend. And I was probably the most disruptive person to ever attend a Bible study because I had a zillion questions and they would say <laughs> things and I would just be outraged by some of the claims they would make. <laughs> and so they, they tolerated me. Well, at the same time, I told a friend of mine back here in Columbus about this and uh, <clears throat> he said, well, why don't we start one here? So we did. It was, and it's been with a relatively small group of people. We don't want it to be big because we want people to be able to talk about the things that matter to them in their lives. And so for, I guess, nearly 30 years, we have met every other Monday with a small group. Uh, my, uh, my young partner in my business, Trevor, is now a member of it. He's not yet 30 years old, so he's reduced the age of it dramatically. We got to get a couple more young people in. But we talk about scripture, we talk about people, and we talk about life. <clears throat> and so since we meet every other Monday, that was the title of the book. Now, in the middle of, the, of, this, uh, of this virus, we're now meeting more often. We're now meeting once a week. And uh, I think it's very, very helpful. And, and, you know, what's really important about this and why our group remains strong or small is because there is a certain intimacy and a protection of people so that we can be honest. You know, I, I'm not much into all this uh, babble about, you know, one person's faith or another. I, I want faith to be the reality of life, too. And so I don't mean to, you know, make anybody angry who's heard that. If you babble, good for you. But um, I, I really want it to be real. And if it's not real, I don't know why we do it. And so uh, it's been it's been really, really good. and. Um, it's enjoyable. And we've all aged since we started this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the challenge for all of us. I'm talking with Governor John Kasich, uh, who wears his faith in Jesus Christ, not only deep within his heart, but also on his sleeve. Governor, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you see the gospel impacting politics? Uh, should pastors engage or avoid politics um, in our nation and in the church? Oh, yeah. Well, I always feel if you want to be a minister, then go go to seminary. And if you want to be a politician, then take the collar off and run for office. So I'm not really uh, into that, into uh, preachers being involved in politics. Uh, I think there's enough moral truths in the book where, I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it. If you think about Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail, where he said that no law of man that is not consistent with the law of God is moral. Uh, I guess people would argue he was a politician. I don't really see him that way. I see him as a great spiritual leader who reminded us of many of God's truths. And uh, so if you got a hankering to talk about politics, I, I would say you talk about it in terms of the the values that we find in the book. And uh, don't be getting into politics. That's not your business. You want to be in politics, run for office. And by the way, those people who are in public office, 
you know, when I was in it, I mean, people knew, I think most people kind of knew where my faith was, but I didn't decide what I was going to do on the basis of some part of scripture. Um, we did expand Medicaid here, which was a very seminal thing and helped 600,000 people uh, to get health care and mental health treatment. It's turned out there's been an enormous contribution in the fight against the virus because it opened up more beds and provide for more resources and more facilities. However, uh, I would say that, you know, when I when I think about uh, the least of those, um, I didn't have to read the book to figure out I wanted to do it. But embedded in me was the notion that we have to care about people who are less fortunate. Uh, we better learn to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Uh, you know, in this in the world today, we hear about the problem of immigration and refugees and and food stamps and poor people. And I, I think sometimes people don't realize how tough their lives are. Uh, but if we put ourselves in the shoes of of a single mom trying to raise kids or a refugee who's trying to flee from harm to their sons and daughters, uh, you know, how do it's about humanity. We're all in the same boat. We're all connected. There's not some like we're red and you're blue or, you know, it, to me, that's just all nonsense. And, and I'm not going to I don't have to sit around quoting scripture to know that that I need to care about my brother and my sister. I, I know that's important. It's a great value. If it, Let's just say you're not even faithful and you're secular, okay? Well, you know, people get that. They understand it. It's sort of intuitive to us. So um, that's kind of my sense of, of how it works. Governor, you've taken a bit of heat over the years for talking about these social issues, but it's so important yeah, that we... I thought that everybody yeah. loved well, I tell you, um, uh, <laughs> Jesus, of course, is our example, isn't he? The, uh, the, the Maundy Thursday, the Holy Thursday uh, service reminds us that he took a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. In fact, he came among us as one who serves. Um, and so is that the way the church can help impact our nation by proclaiming the word of God, which you've already talked about, not, not using the pulpit for politics, but talking about Jesus, but then going and engaging in humble acts of service. Is that a way that the church can help to affect our nation for the good? You know, a friend of mine used to tell me, uh, Bishop, that don't tell me, show me. And I think many of our churches, synagogues, houses of worship in this country are beginning to take the mandate of serving more seriously and doing great things. And uh, I think that's kind of our job. It's to, you know, everybody's, everybody is not going to do, you know, all the certain tasks, but everybody in a church, you know, they're all part of an orchestra. Everybody can do something a little differently. Um, you know, we had a, a sermon on Sunday by our minister here, and uh, I thought he did a great job. And I'd gotten busy during the day, and Sunday night I sent him a text and said, hey, you, you did a great job today. And he said, you've made my day. You've made my day. No, was that a big deal? But No, it wasn't a big deal, but it made him feel good. And that, that was part being part of the orchestra, right? I mean, Absolutely. the little things we do, you know, first of all, if you do little things well, it leads to bigger things. But um, 
you know, I think it's it's all of us trying to do whatever it is that that we're comfortable and kind of like doing. And we should find that. You know, everybody doesn't have to go out and climb Mount Everest. Do what it is you can do. Because the strength of our country, by the way, of America is bottom up. Us as good people realizing that we have a duty kind of beyond ourselves. Governor, I hope you're going to say all this about this week's sermon at your church because your bishop who is speaking to you now is the uh, preacher this Sunday. So I hope that that will be true as well. Ooh. I didn't know that. Huh. <laughs> Hopefully you'll be listening with intent, sir, and I will be uh, thrilled to have you there. We'll be meeting electronically, um, given the, the virus situation. Governor, one of the challenges we've got uh, in our nation, particularly for the church, as I see it, is that evangelical Christians are seen to be the mouthpiece of the Republican Party. Has, has this damaged the church? And what can we do to be careful about that if it has? Hmm. Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I have to think about that. Um, I, I just, I just, I have things running through my head that I'd rather not say, but I think we should remember that it seems to me that when we talk about these issues of the poor, of refugees, all those kinds of things, uh, I think we have to be careful that we are not associating ourselves with, with those that might divide, those that may bully, put down. Um, I think we have to be careful about that. and. Um, I, I just don't know what more to say. I mean, I, I, I just don't want to get into, you know, into attack mode. Uh, I just, it's not, not the way that I would prefer to lead or express myself. So, Governor, thank you for that. Talking about leadership, you've been known as the guy who never gives up. Um, in my observation of you over the years, and particularly uh, as I've got to know you a little bit personally, can you tell us why you've not given up? When you take so many personal knocks as a leader, what's kept you going? Why are oh, you still there? I, I don't feel like I've taken a lot of personal knocks. I, that's not been any kind of an issue. The, the hardest thing is for the hardest thing for a leader really is you walk a lonely road and you get a sense of what you should do. I mean, the way that I do things is I have a small group of people that, that I talk to. In fact, I'm going to talk to a group uh, right after we're done with this about a, a big presentation I have to make tomorrow. And I, I get their sense of things. And um, I ask a lot of questions. Sometimes I argue with the purpose of discovering how I really feel about something. And then when I have a sense of where we ought to go, I just do that. And I'm comfortable walking a lonely road. And what I know and I've learned throughout my lifetime is if you're on to a very noble cause, people will show up. I mean, they won't be there in the beginning, but the longer you are fighting for something that has real purpose and decency and value to it, people will come. And so, you know, the slings or the arrows, that's greatly overstated for me. I don't I don't, that, that's just irritating more than it is troubling whenever it happens. But I, I just know that if you're on with a good cause, people will come and help you. And, and many of the people who are listening here who decided to 
start something in the church or start something in their neighborhood. And they started doing it on their own. And then, you know, then somebody down the street heard and said, okay, I'll help on that. Another person in another neighborhood heard and they said, I can do something on that. Leadership is the ability to sense the future, I think. I mean, I define it, there's a million different ways, but to sense where we need to go and go and get going there and not worry about those that say, uh, I mean, let's think about, you know, Noah, if Noah's a real story. I, I sometimes I wonder about allegories in the scripture. And I don't need to have a bunch of people saying, oh, he doesn't believe in Noah. But let's just take Noah, for example. Noah had the sense delivered to him, of course, by God um, in one way or another that he needed to prepare for a calamity that was coming. People mocked him. They said, oh, you're crazy. Well, he felt that he was on the right path, something he needed to do. Um, Unfortunately, in his case, not many people listened to him. But he was never deterred from doing what he needed to do. Uh, I mean, a lot of the great stories of, of the Bible are people who they were leaders. They just they just kind of knew where they needed to go, and they didn't go there uh, in fear. And people followed. And um, you know, when you think about the rise of Christianity post the resurrection, I mean, it's an amazing story of people that put it all on the line preach the, the high calling of what Jesus wanted, love, worship God. And look what's happened. It's, it's blossomed into an unbelievable miracle. So leadership is just being sure of where you want to go and go in there and not looking around to see how many are following. They'll follow. It's just a matter of time. Governor, one last question for you. You were part of St. Augustine's uh, Church in Westerville, Ohio, from its inception, I think, uh, meeting in uh, Father Kevin Maney's living room at that time. Correct. Uh, um, uh, Is church important? Uh, Sunday worshipping has become so difficult for so many people. Life is complicated. Sports are on Sunday morning. Yet you continue to make it a priority. Yeah, as much as I can, Bishop. and since you're preaching Sunday, I'll be able to catch almost all of your sermon. Good <laughs> and short. But, you know, look, for me, um, it's important to, to hear that, to go to church and, to, you know, get in there. And But I, I tell you an interesting story. Uh, Peter Beckwith, who's a, a bishop who departed a dear friend of mine for many, many years, I told him, I said, you know, I've got my Bible study, I'm, you know, kind of read these inspired materials and I don't, I don't really need to go to, I don't really need to go to church. And he said, John, you need to go to church because people need to see that it's important to you. Made a lot of sense. I think less so now, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to, uh, to be able to use the Sabbath to reflect and thank and pray and, and ask for things, you know, uh, and that's kind of the way I see it. So if all of a sudden people said I couldn't go to church, I'd probably figure out how to do it in my house somehow. Well, thank you. We're thrilled that you're part of St. Augustine's, uh, and I'm honored and privileged to talk with you today. My guest well, has been... I'm thrilled that you're the, you're the bishop, yeah. and, and, and this is not a, a mutual, you know, like you say something nice and I say something nice. But, <laughs> but let me just say that I have followed you since you have been in 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 your position and i think you do it um with um i 
I just like the way you think. I think that you are uh, you're a, you're kind of above a lot of the squabbles that are out there. I think you provide real leadership. I think you're very intelligent, and I think that you present things in such a way that it's very appealing. And I think the more that this can be presented in a positive win-win way, uh, I think people will resonate with it. And um, I like the way you make your decisions. Maybe the reason I like them is because I agree with them. But nevertheless, I think you're doing a heck of I think you're doing a great job. And thank you for uh, the dedication. And, uh, you know, I hope you'll keep my and I know you do my 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 family and and uh, all the people here in your prayers. Thank you, Governor John Kasich, um, for your um uh, time with us. Thank you for sharing those things about me. In fact, you have inspired and helped me to make some of the decisions and leadership uh, that I make. And um, maybe one day in the future, we can talk again on this podcast. I'd love to talk to you about some of the other challenges in our nation, particularly the opioid challenge, which I know is a big concern to you uh, as it is to me. And um, God bless you, sir. Enjoy this Easter season. And uh, even though we might see each other electronically via Zoom at church on Sunday, I hope it won't be too long until we can see each other in person. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. This has been Living Through the Word. I'm Julian Dobbs, and I commend you to God and to the word of His grace.